Your father is about to ask me the question. This is the most important moment in our lives, and I want to pay attention. Note every detail. Your father and I have just come back from an evening out, dinner and a show. It's after midnight. We came out onto the patio to look at the full moon. Then I told your dad I wanted to dance, so he humors me, and now we're slow dancing. A pair of 30-something swaying back and forth in the moonlight like kids. I don't feel the night chill at all. And then your dad says, do you want to make a baby? Right now, your dad and I have been married for about two years, living on Ellis Avenue. When we move out, you'll still be too young to remember the house, but we'll show you pictures of it, tell you stories about it. I'd love to tell you the story of this evening, the night you're conceived. But the right time to do that would be when you're ready to have children of your own, and we'll never get that chance. Lightning recap. In Ted Chiang's Story of Your Life, a linguist studies an alien language and simultaneously examines her own past, present, and future. You had a little time. We had a little podcast, or a, maybe a medium podcast, I don't know. <laughs> well, this is Short Story Short Podcast. The podcast that asks the questions and also provides sideways answers. Sometimes upside down answers every once in a while when we're really on top of our game or at the bottom of our game. You know, this is awfully convoluted. If you could think of maybe a story that we could have read last week that was somewhat convoluted, what would you say it is? I would say that convoluted but fantastic story would be Story of Your Life by Ted Chiang. Yeah, this is a phenomenal story. And the convolution in this case makes it all the more powerful because it goes into one, linguistics, which linguistics nerd. Um, <laughs> I love language and particularly artificial languages. I'll talk about that in a bit. But two, it's just so humane a story. And I love that. And also Ted good guy. Uh, we were guests of honor together at Minicon, along with my friend Frank Wu back, I think 2012, 13, 13, 12. Yeah. And an amazing dude. Uh, great hair. Phenomenal hair. Ooh, I, I love great hair. You're really like, great hair is, is great, honestly. Yeah, this, this story keeps the reader on this like tightrope because you're balanced between, as Louise talks about her, her past, maybe, and the life with her daughter. And also she's trying to express how, you know, the experience and the process of trying to learn this alien communication that also seems to have uh, almost live verb tenses, I guess you could say. <laughs> And so there's, there's this tension and it's, it's a, for the reader and then it slowly becomes a reality for Louise too, because it's more than just, it's a different tension than we think it is once we get to the end. It's really just a brilliant freaking story, man. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and I think there's, there, there's sort of two sides of it. One is, yeah, she does get subsumed into this language, which is really an expression of the ideas of a lot of the 
20th century postmodernist philosophy, whereas since we experience the world through language, uh, we can only understand the world as language and language becomes the only thing that really matters in a way when you sort of break it down. But it goes to a separate thing, which is she cannot be experiencing the heptapods, I guess is the best way to call them, sevenfold symmetry. Uh, there's only one animal in the, uh, I believe in the record of fossil that has sevenfold symmetry. Um, he said, because of my dear friend, Frank Wu, who was the other guest of honor with me and Ted at Minicon. <laughs> wow, this is, this is very, very uh, a circular discussion, which is apt and appropriate for this particular story. Correct. But what's really fascinating is that she can't fully experience time the way they do. She can only somewhat express her experiences through this idea but she has still the internalized time logic of herself. And this makes it fascinating even more so because this is a story told, told to her daughter, but she's telling it to her daughter across her life. And that is fascinating. That is a big F fascinating, see? <laughs> the computer agrees 100 percent yeah it's there's this i think I, throughout the entire story she's struggling to understand her daughter even as her daughter simultaneously does not exist exists and also does not exist because time is really almost sort of meaningless once you get to the root of the story i feel like and from a technical perspective, you know, what tense you use almost becomes meaningless or a trick, depending on how you view the world, what lens you use. So it's this sort of, it messes with your head a lot. Like once you really start sitting there and thinking about it and about free will and about causality and all these things and even you know again to get technical like narrative chrono chronology like this is an amazing story where and the actual concepts that are being expressed affect the way that the storyteller tells it and thus my theory about chang in this story because there's i think his, many of his stories are very different the life cycle of software objects is another one that has sort of this great uh playing around with a theoretical structure, but in there he's, he's a sentence writer. Here, he is again, a concept writer. And once he has explored that concept, he hard shifts to a, not only a different subject, but a different time point and perspective. And that's what makes it, in, that's what makes you really have to narrow down on this. And you could almost look at each individual section as, a story that is waiting to be put in line. But at the same time, this is a linear narrative, but it is a linear narrative not told in our concept of linearity. Yeah, which, it's a linear narrative we, for the haptopods. Yes, exactly. <laughs> it is how the characters experience linearity. So in essence, it is what Kurt Vonnegut was doing in Slaughterhouse-Five. It is, uh, disjoining our narrativity 
and our concept of linearity and imposing another one, which I like. Yeah, I like that a lot. And I think that it's, it's funny, we get everything through the lens of Louise and she's brilliant at understanding the heptapod language or languages, I guess we should say, heptapod two. Um, but it seems like she's not so great at understanding you know, the, the emotional level. And it's in a way has that same aspect of um, the story we talked about with the uh, text messages that was posted on Twitter. The name is escaping me completely right now. Unknown number. Unknown number. There we go. Thank you. Um, in a way, it's kind of like that in that you have, you know, that, that same sort of archetype of a character who is an academic and who thinks very logically and almost clinically, and she's not super in touch with their emotions and maybe comes to regret that. Mm -hmm. And a big aspect of this is that she is telling this story to her as of yet to be unborn daughter, but whose death she's already experienced. Yes. And that idea that, you know, we are on a... Uh, a road that we cannot veer from and you can see that that knowledge when you have it makes it possible to experience emotions and let them go in a, in a lot of ways this is a, a story about letting go yeah and that's both beautiful and depressing as hell <laughs> yeah it's about in addition to letting go of the people that we loved who are either not yet here or gone, it's also about letting go of our preconceived notions of our field of study, which is slightly less sad and slightly more mind expanding. So that's kind of nice. So look at me silver lining it. <laughs> but I will add also that it is also the exceptional knowledge that your own contribution is completely minimalized <laughs> and down we go again roller coasters <laughs> very much we're up we're down we're up we're down yes but i think when you look at it as from a continuum as uh i would say unknown number through to uh a thing that happened at owl creek bridge those are really two different ends of the spectrum. And this one falls, I think, a little closer to Owl Creek Bridge, personally, maybe, because it is an idea of this is an expansion of a consciousness in a way. Yeah. And I think those three stories actually need to be put in an anthology edited by me. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, it could be stories that completely fuck with your notion of time, space, and causality. And the universe. So you mean weed, right? <laughs> yeah, sure. Sure. <laughs> I, I, love, I love this story. And I love Ted Chang's stories in general. I think he's one of the writers who isn't a novel writer as much I think he put out a novel not too long ago, actually, but was better known in the sort of the shorter realm, like Rachel Swirsky, Kelly Link, until 2011, uh, Paolo Bacigalupi, 
like these writers who understand not everything needs to be a novel. And I think that understanding the length is important. And this is long for a shorter work. It's a novella technically, not a novelette, sigh. Uh, but it does, <laughs> it does work, I think, more like a shorter work than a novel. And I think part of that is that it is paced quickly because of the back and forths. Yeah, it's it's not just that. I, definitely, I, I I think this is the perfect length. I think short story would not be enough. Novel would be possibly too much. Uh, so so I'm fascinated with the fact that they made it into a movie, and I'm gonna probably watch that like this weekend or next whenever I, I have some time. So, uh, but yeah, it's to me the perfect length for something where you're gonna really play with with structure and with ideas and concepts like you know time and everything. You don't want to mess with a reader's mind for too long, and you can't for too long. For the length of a novel, it feels like to mess with it uh, to the extent that it's messed with in Story of Your Life, uh, I think you, you risk lawsuits. But like, uh, this is the perfect length because it gives room to stretch your legs, but it's not too much space to fill with, with concepts and things that might turn some readers away. So I think it's, it's perfect for that. And really, honestly, just about like, I, I, I very much am of the belief that a story will be as long as it needs to be. Although sometimes that's like 15,000 words longer than the writer thinks it needs to be. So I'm, I'm very much of that belief, but one really fascinating uh, assignment that we had in grad school was to take uh, a novel novella that we had written and turn it into like a 500 word story. And uh, that idea really, it, it can it can work better than you think. <laughs> I actually had to do a similar thing and I uh, highlighted and hit delete and then turned it in. And uh, it was very effective. It was very avant-garde. Ended in the middle of a sentence. I'm freaking James Joyce. Uh, <laughs> Excellent. Uh, but yeah, I, I really love this story. I'm so glad I got to revisit it because I don't think I had read it since it first came out. Uh, and that was a long time ago. <laughs> in a galaxy just around the That's, corner. I was going to say probably still in this one, at least if, if I know your life right, which maybe I don't know your life. I've been lying to you this whole time. My real well, name is Mike Dukakis. Of all the people to choose. <laughs> of all the people to choose. I don't know why you went with Mike Dukakis. <laughs> I don't know why the rest of America didn't. Um. My name is Emily Hepburn. I just pissed off a whole bunch of people. <laughs> well played. Thank you. Got anything else on this one? Yeah, I had one sort of reflection looking back on the story once I finished it. The ending, which I thought was brilliant, uh, mirrors the beginning. Much like a looking glass. <laughs> or pie or like a looking glass which there were it's actually looking glass in the story there was no pie unfortunately because every story should have a pie really mm, yes and actually that looking glass is the only real super technology we're given an understanding of and i really like that i mean when you have a science fiction story that 
doesn't hit you over the head with super tech stuff. I really like that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. When it's just kind of, it's, it's part of the background, but we don't need any sort of explanation. It's sort of that soft sci-fi, soft sci-fi idea. Hey, Christy. Yes? What are we going to read next week? We're going to read Lamb to the Slaughter by Roald Dahl. Fascinating. Maybe this will be short story. And maybe it'll be short podcasting.